0: This morning, we will be picking up where we left off in Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Last week, we worked through his introduction to the letter in verses 1 through 11. And we identified two of his priorities that stood out for the progress of the church, praise and prayer. We saw how Paul praises God with joy for God's faithfulness and his partnership with the church in Philippi. And we saw how he earnestly prays for the church, for their love, their discernment, and purity, that God would be glorified through them. And we concluded our message that seeing that Paul's priorities point us toward progress in life and ministry together. In this next section, we'll gain a deeper understanding of Paul's current circumstances in prison and glean wisdom from his update to the church. Remember, this is a missionary report. So, imagine with me before we enter into the text. We send a worker to the field and he is on the move abounding in fruit, making disciples, planting churches, and then we get word he's in prison. Oh no. What's going to happen to him? What's going to happen to all his good work? Will it all fall apart? What will they do to him? Is he done for? Let's send one of our own to go visit him and find out if there's anything that he can. And so we send our member to visit our other sent one on the field. And we wait and wait and wait. All the while we're praying, why, Lord, why? How can this happen? Your servant, he's so faithful. How can this happen? And then finally, the member returns. How is he? Tell us. How were things? How is he doing? I have a letter from Paul himself. Gather the church. Let's read it aloud. We read through the introduction last week, and we will enter into the body of the text in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, shh, shh, this is important, everyone be quiet, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. What? So that in my imprisonment, in the cause of Christ, has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else. And that... Most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear? Praise God! Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit and through your word, strengthen our faith in you today. Awaken faith in the hearts of those who do not know you, Lord. Fill us with power and joy and confidence in you that we would live boldly for you today and all. For the rest of our life, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The initial receipt of this letter probably caused a similar, surprisingly encouraged response from the church body. Their beloved brother Paul is in prison and says, I rejoice This would have been surprising to them because that phrase there, turned out, literally reads instead or rather than what you would expect from my circumstances, he's saying. You would think that my imprisonment hindered the ministry, but oh no, it's advanced the gospel. Paul wants them to see that what appears to be a bad thing is actually a good thing. How? Because God is using it. Paul wants them to see and understand this reality through his perspective. Receiving this news and perceiving Paul's circumstances and ministry through his perspective would have been all the more paradigm-shifting for the church in Philippi. But it's important for Paul that they understand his perspective for their progress. In our passage this morning, we will see that Paul's perspective points us towards progress. During our study, we'll examine three things with respect to Paul's perspective. What shapes his perspective? What does it look like to navigate life and ministry through his perspective? And how do we gain The same perspective on life and our faith. Okay, so what is it? What does it look like? And how do we get it? Now, in order to identify what shapes Paul's perspective, it's important that we take a big step back and understand something about him that he already stated about himself in the letter. He is a servant of Christ. He has come to know and embrace the fullness of who Jesus is and all that he's done for us. For Paul, as recorded for us in Acts chapter 9, his whole life was flipped upside down when he encountered Christ. His paradigm of understanding life and faith in God was shattered when he met Christ. Because he came to terms with the real kingdom of God at hand. You see, several hundred years before Paul, the city of Jerusalem was at the center of the kingdom of Israel. The place where God dwelt and reigned over his people. The people of God believed that he would expand his reign over the whole world from the center of Jerusalem. But the people of God rebelled against him, turning to their own ways, and God brought judgment upon them. The city and kingdom were destroyed, and the people were taken into exile in foreign lands. This is all recorded in the Old Testament for us. It's the story of the people of God, the people of Israel. Now, in exile, the people of God, in great despair, wondered if they would be utterly forsaken by their God. And the prophet Isaiah prophesies about this in chapter 52 of his book and notes how one day a messenger will come. Bearing a gospel or good news. That the God of Israel still reigns over his people. And that one day their king would return to the city and take up his throne again. Isaiah notes in this prophecy how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, this term gospel or good news throughout Scripture is typically associated with the announcement of the reign of a new king. And several hundred years after Isaiah's prophecy, Jesus arrives and the New Testament records for us that he begins his earthly ministry by announcing good news, that the kingdom of God is at hand and everyone is confused is he the messenger who is this guy what made his gospel even more confusing is that the way that he taught god's reign in the kingdom of god was upside down from what everyone expected or had thought it was An upside-down kingdom from the perspective of the world. Everyone knows that any real kingdom advances in power and might and domination. But Jesus taught that the greatest in the kingdom of God was the weakest. The one who loves and serves the poor. He taught that advancement in the kingdom of God comes not by conquering your enemies, but by loving and serving them. It was upside down. This is why Paul, before his conversion, persecuted followers of Jesus. Because he rejected such a backward paradigm for his faith in God. And because he hated Jesus himself. Jesus not only announced that the kingdom of God was at hand, but he also announced that it arrived with him. He claimed to be Israel's long-awaited messenger and king. Now, family, I would actually recommend the Bible Project's short video on YouTube to you all called The Gospel of the Kingdom, which is a helpful illustration of the kingdom of God and which I really just followed in my brief overview, this background and overview of the kingdom of God in view of Israel's history. This is very important for our study. A couple important things to note from this overview on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God refers to God's reign over God's people in God's place. Two, the good news of the kingdom of God at hand is directly tied to the good news that Jesus is Lord. He is king of God's kingdom. Three, Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God on earth and his people are tasked with advancing God's kingdom by advancing the gospel of Jesus. And as people hear the gospel of Jesus and come to faith in Christ by believing in the gospel, God's dominion expands. This is the mission of the church, to advance his gospel to the ends of the earth so that Christ would be worshipped in every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. And fourth, lastly, and for the purpose of our study here in this passage, the kingdom of God is upside down from the perspective of the world. In accordance with Jesus' teachings, the kingdom of God advances through subversive means. Where the kingdoms of the earth advance through power, strength, control, and riches, the kingdom of God advances through service, humility, and sacrifice. So that we show the world and the powers in the spiritual realms that the surpassing power of kingdom advancement comes not of ourselves, but from God. Now, what's clear from our text here is that Paul doesn't care about his constraints. He's not focused on his constraints here. Because of his kingdom perspective, God is using it for his purposes look at how he notes that his imprisonment is literally in Christ he knows that he knows that as a child of god and disciple of christ his life is set apart for christ's sake likewise citizens of the kingdom of god share the same upside down kingdom perspective and kingdom passions. Paul's greatest ambition is not that he makes much of himself, but that he makes much of Christ, and he makes Christ known and loved and worshiped. Here's another upside-down reality in the kingdom of God versus that of this world. Jesus says, the more you seek to find yourself, you lose yourself. But the more you s- he who loses himself for my sake and the sake of the gospel, finds himself. Paul takes this to heart. And in so doing, he can find joy in prison. Because he is confident in Jesus. And his life is hid with Christ in God. So Paul reports that God is using his chains for gospel advancement. And he notes what that advancement consists of. All the unbelievers around him the whole imperial guard, the whole squad of prison guards, and he notes everyone else, are witnessing his faithfulness to Jesus even unto his chains. That's powerful. And he notes that the believers in the Lord around him are also growing in their faith because of witnessing him in chains for Christ. This resulting in more confidence and power to their gospel ministry of proclaiming Christ. Powerful. All this fruit because one man is in chains. That's the kingdom of God at hand. Paul knows this. He sees this. And so he rejoices. Unfortunately, not all the brothers are preaching Christ from the same motives. Paul says, some are preaching Christ out of love and in true partnership, while others are envious and preaching Christ out of selfish ambition. He says, these guys are trying to cause me distress. In my imprisonment now before you allow your hearts to get defensive as mine would who's causing you distress Paul let me him. you he says I don't care no sweat off my back my heart is full they're preaching Christ that's all I care about I rejoice over here. Yes, and I will rejoice. Look at verses 19 and 20. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. He's confident that he will be delivered from his circumstances because he's confident in the prayers of the church and provision of the Holy Spirit. Picking back up, On one of his priorities we saw last week, Paul is reinforcing the power and necessity of prayer in the church. He depends on it. Prayer is powerful. Last week, I was on the phone with Pastor Tom. And at one point he said, I trust that the Lord will see me through this. He said, I feel like Paul in Philippians 1, and I know that God will hear their prayers. We will trust in him. E.M. Bounds, in his classic Power Through Prayer, writes, Units of prayer combined, like drops of water, form an ocean that defies resistance. No force can resist because it's the Spirit of God who works the deliverance and the wonders of God in our life and our ministry together. Amen? Just in case we didn't get Paul's perspective and passions from the previous verses, he he reinforces for us, there will be no loss for me, no shame coming this way, because one way or another, regardless of my outcome, Christ is magnified through me. And in this, I will rejoice. Family, we are seeing what it looks like to navigate through life circumstances with a kingdom perspective. It consists of making Christ known as the chief ambition in life. It consists of perceiving our circumstances at times with an upside-down framework, trusting that God is at work in all our circumstances for good. Not that we desire pains and suffering, but that when they come, and they will come, we can see God's value in them and his faithfulness. Elizabeth Elliot, wife of a Christian martyr Jim Elliot, who gave his life for Christ in a, uh, ministering to a tribe in Ecuador, notes in one of her diaries after she lost her husband, my secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. We trust in the one who began a good work and will see to its completion. Earnest expectation." And hope, Paul says. Navigating through life and ministry with a kingdom perspective consists of total reliance on prayer and the Holy Spirit of God to keep us and deliver us through trials and ultimately to our destination, our destiny, eternal salvation with him. Now, where these things lack shows us that we are likely relying on our own understanding, seeing and perceiving reality through our perspective, which will also likely result in disappointment, feelings of failure, lack of value, and fulfillment. Only in the kingdom of God can we be both constrained and confident, sad and yet joyful, broken and yet whole, set back and yet progressing, upside down and yet right side up. A couple weeks ago, when Danny from Lebanon was here, he shared with the staff a story about the birth of the Evangelical Free Church in Sudan. Sudan is a country in northeast Africa and is strict Muslim from the top down. There was a man, it's a true story, there was a man in a Muslim tribe in Sudan who was transformed by the gospel of Jesus. He surrendered his life to Christ and as he began living for him, the tribal leaders found out and were enraged. They called the whole community to the center of the village, the whole tribe. They dragged him out And I want to be sensitive to who's in the room right now. They knifed him repeatedly unto his death. So tragic. So heartbreaking. Now, while the chief leaders were executing him in the center of the village, something else was happening. His mother represented that as she watched on, she did not see her son, but Jesus himself in her son's place. A vision came over her that she could not shake. She shared that she couldn't not see Jesus in her son's place during his execution. At the same time, the man's brother, the mother's other son, witnessing his brother's execution, was transformed by belief in the gospel of Jesus in that very moment, along with 25 others from the village who were witnessing. The tragedy, 27 people came to Christ that day and the Free Church of Lebanon, connected with the recently converted brother, took him on to full-time support and through the 27 born of God that day, the Free Church of Sedan today now consists of over a thousand worshipers of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Only in Jesus can these feet be both bloody and beautiful. Paul closes out this section by laying out the bedrock of his kingdom perspective on life. And ministry in verses 21 through 26 for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain for if I am to live on in the flesh this will mean fruitful labor for me and I do not know which to choose but I am hard pressed from both directions having the desire to depart and be with Christ for that is very much better Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again." To live is Christ, and to die is gain. The bedrock of his kingdom perspective on life and ministry. Paul has already made it clear, that Christ is magnified in me is all that matters. My outcomes don't matter because I live for him. Then he takes it one step further and explains his perspective by weighing his options before the church. He says, to die is very much better because I'll be with Christ. I'll be free from all pain and suffering and full of joy. Now remember, this was the man who was beaten several times over, whipped several times, stoned, shipwrecked, imprisoned numerous times. You better believe he was ready to go home to Christ. But he also can see that if he remains alive, that would be more beneficial for the Philippians. So he concludes, I'm staying with you all. I know it. Another example of the kingdom perspective lived out. He considers the well-being of others over his own. This is backwards from our culture. The culture in our world, in our country, is my gain at your expense. The culture of the kingdom of God is my expense for your gain. For Paul, this is another no-lose proposition because of his perspective. To live as Christ... And to die is gain. These are my two options. Praise God. For Paul, after he came to Christ, he embraced the reality that his old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer he who lives, but Christ who lives in him. Therefore, he lives in this earthly body by faith alone in the Son of God who loves us and gave himself up for us as he writes in his letter to the Galatians. It's a win-win for Paul because it's a win-win for Christ. First, we saw his passion for the advancement of the gospel in Rome. Here we see his passionate commitment to the advancement of the gospel in Philippi. Advancement for Paul, as we see here in this text, includes transformation in the world around him, external, and for the church, a growing faith and overflowing joy in Christ, internal. Family, this is the same trajectory for our mission here at Riverstone when we say that our mission is to advance the gospel by making disciples who make disciples it starts with us growing in the gospel of Jesus. And then, our, as our faith and joy increase, it should overflow through us, impacting the world around us, reaching those in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, our sports clubs, our gyms, our playgrounds, all our spheres of influence. It's Paul's perspective that leads to joy, and his joy fuels the progress. So then, how do we gain Paul's kingdom perspective? The same way he did by seeing and embracing. The upside down gospel of salvation in Jesus. It's upside down because it was the last thing that anyone expected. Most today still reject it as absurd. A king that would come in grace. And humility. A king who identifies with the weak, the poor, and the outcasts. A king that would be crowned not with gold and precious gems, but with thorns. A king that was robed not in precious furs but in a garment that was ripped off and taken. A king that was lifted up, not to a throne, but to a cross. A king who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The crucifixion, of Jesus was the great upside down event that changed the course of history. Those who loved him looked on him with tears in agony and despair on the cross as they watched the greatest tragedy in the history. Of the world. And yet. They were also looking at. Directly at. The greatest. Victory. The greatest. Act of power. And dominion. There ever was. He conquered. The greatest and most powerful enemy. Of humanity. Sin and death. His death for our eternal life by faith in him. Through his suffering and death, God kept him and delivered him through his resurrection. And he ascended into cosmic exaltation at the right hand of God in the kingdom of heaven, where he indeed was enthroned. And now, at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow one day that Jesus, confessing that Jesus is indeed Lord, Jesus reigns over all. Do you believe that? Believe. And receive forgiveness of sins. New life in him. And this level of security. Because of Paul's kingdom perspective. He was able to turn his constraints. Into confidence. What does this look like? In our lives, this could look like a variety of things. Maybe for some of us, our physical or emotional well being is impaired right now. Can we see God's faithfulness in it? Can we see through our brokenness and cling to our wholeness? In him. Maybe you've lost a loved one recently or are preparing to let go in this life of a loved one. Can we see that he is our friend and bridegroom who will never leave us and is always with us? We have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Maybe there's a setback at work or economically in your household. Do we see in his word that he tells us our days were written out before they ever even come to be? He knows. He knew. So, What does he have for you now or in this season? He has works prepared for you to walk in for his glory and your joy. Can we see that? Maybe there's just been so much suffering in your life. That it is too difficult to see anything good come out of it right now. Can you see what Sinclair Ferguson once said? The reality that God is making us like Christ the same way he made Christ like Christ. Through suffering and hardship, we too, with him, will enter into glory and exaltation. We identify with Christ in his suffering. We too will identify with him in his glory and exaltation. Maybe you're experiencing frustrations or strains in ministry Here at Riverstone, there's a number of areas of ministry that need to be rebuilt and revitalized in ways after these last two years. How do you view that? Is this a point of frustration or disappointment? Or is it an opportunity for growth? And your participation in progress. Maybe things that used to be running well here that you enjoyed are not running at all right now. Or maybe they've changed over this last year. What if some things are changing? You may have heard it said, change is inevitable, but progress is optional. I will rejoice, Paul says. Can you see that God is still with us? Can you see that you are here because he brought you here and has a purpose for you in and through and with this body? What if he's waiting for you to prioritize his work so that he can show you where true riches are to be found? Where your true fulfillment and satisfaction is to be found? What if he's brought us all to a new place together this season where he wants us all with one heart to call out to him in prayer, trusting him and watching that he watching him, that he will bring about a powerful work among us. Do we believe that he still works like that? Do we really trust him? Family, Jesus' call. To deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him sounds easy on Sunday morning, yet this is no easy way to live out our faith in life and ministry, especially when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances. So, as we seek to advance the gospel together and advance together in the gospel in this season ahead, we need to be prepared and know that we will encounter difficult circumstances, hardships, conflicts, setbacks, change, loss. And when we feel the weight of life and ministry on our shoulders, whether that be individually or together, so heavy to the point of despair at times, we will have to make a decision. Will we trust in our own perspective and understanding? Or will we trust that God is is who he says he is and will do what he has promised. Family, let's trust in him together and press on in this season ahead, faithfully trusting in him and trusting that he will bring about a powerful work in us, and through us, for our joy, and for his glory. Amen? Paul's perspective points us toward progress. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that your word serves as the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. Lord thank you for your holy spirit or your holy spirit which which turns which makes your word into life in our hearts lord that we grow in the grace and knowledge of our god through the spirit of the living christ living in us lord help our unbelief Lord, for those who do not know you here among us, we pray that you would help us to see and behold the beauties of the riches of knowing you, all that you've done for us and the the riches of the inheritance of the saints and our life and prosperity in you together. Lord, awaken faith among us. Strengthen our faith and Lord, send us out as your agents, bold as lions, gentle as lambs, and not letting anything resist or put us to shame because our confidence and our trust is in you. Lord, we trust you, we love you, and we long to live for you, that you would get the glory in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.